What a message. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Stephen. To find our strength in the one who loves us. This is where we have hope. We're continuing in our celebration of the Festival of Pentecost, as I shared with you, we're continuing to leave room for the Holy Spirit in our worship. And in doing so, we turn, as you heard from Kate McFarland, to Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday today is going to conclude our sermon series on verbs of faith. And this is because being welcomed by our triune God is in one sense the culmination of our faith. So it makes sense to conclude a sermon series in this welcome, in this hope. During the sermon series about verbs of faith, it began on Easter Sunday, and we have looked at so many actions that our faith motivates us to take. And remember, these actions aren't so that we earn God's love. God's love has already been given to us. It's because we are recipients of God's love that we're guided, we're motivated to take these actions. And today, we're going to look at the action of hope. Now, depending on your circumstance, depending on how keyed in you are to the circumstances in the world, this might be the most difficult verb so far. Many of you may have felt that lack of hope, particularly over the last several months. Our text is going to come from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. We've been hanging out in Acts, but we're going to go to the next book, Romans. It's chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And you can follow along on page 155 of your Red Pew Bibles if you'd like to use those, or you can use your bulletins as it's printed in there. This is from Romans 5, 1 through 5. And I'd invite you to listen now for God's word to you. Paul writes, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, pour out your Holy Spirit upon our hearts and minds so that we might hear and understand this word of hope you give us. Strengthen us by that same spirit to live in hope throughout our lives. It's in the name of your son, the word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. So much of this text in Romans 5 is beautiful and profound and wonderful. Peace with God. Access to grace. God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. This is good news, and I love the way that Paul uses language in this passage. But then there's this other part of the text where we're supposed to boast in our sufferings. Suffering builds endurance, after all, and endurance builds character. Somehow this seems less fun 
and less like good news than the first part of the text. Somehow, this seems more like something you'd hear from like that Old Testament God, right? As opposed to that New Testament God. I remember when I played high school sports, we had a special gym class in first block, affectionately called morning class. First block was 90 minutes. It's an hour and a half of running and weightlifting and just being oh so tired. Um, One of the first pieces of advice we were given was not to eat prior to morning class since those who ate often had, shall we say, unpleasant experiences with all the running and weightlifting that we were asked, driven to do. Our coaches would regularly remind us that pain was weakness leaving the body. Some of you may have heard this before. Now, I'm not sure if I have ever been in better shape than I was in my first two years of high school. Probably due to this morning class, my coaches pushed me to the limits of what I was physically and mentally able and willing to do. And I would find myself, after morning class, walking to my other classes in high school with legs feeling like they were made of jello when we were working out our legs. And then when we trained our upper body, my handwriting would be noticeably worse throughout the day. I've experienced how the suffering of the present moment can build endurance, how it can build character. And although I really didn't like going to morning class, I couldn't argue with the results. It made me stronger, at least until I was injured. The pain of injury is often different than the pain of exercise. But when I'm not the one feeling the pain, It's impossible to distinguish between the two. Questions arise like, is that person really hurt or are they just trying to take a break? Suffering and pain, although we all experience them, they can be intensely personal. They transcend language. It's hard to describe suffering, even when, we get, when we're given that scale from one to 10 that doctors like to use. What is it that makes one person suffering a four and another person suffering an eight? While they're part of the human experience, suffering and pain stymie most efforts to communicate about them to others. For this reason, Although I do believe that faith does guide us to a real and lasting hope, even and especially through suffering, I want to be really careful how I preach on this. Well-meaning coaches whose intensity and drive helped me to be at my peak physical shape also tried to convince me to work through the pain of injury. While it is true that endurance and character can come out of a life that has confronted suffering, It isn't true that all suffering is good. It isn't true that all suffering is redemptive. It isn't true that all suffering is hopeful in the moment. Just this year alone, just in 2022, we've wrestled with the reality of over 1 million deaths from COVID in our country. Over 6 million deaths from COVID worldwide. We've wrestled with the reality of a dictator attempting to expand Russian territory into Ukraine, leading to tens of thousands of deaths. We've grieved the loss of innocent lives taken because of racist violence in Buffalo 
and hateful violence in Uvalde. And this doesn't even consider the deep decades or centuries old issues that go beyond just 2022. Racism, climate change, world hunger. And while we hope that God can redeem these occurrences of desolation and evil, when we interact with families mourning the loss of loved ones, they don't need us to say, hey, it's okay, you can boast in your suffering. Suffering will give you endurance, character, hope. Somehow, that doesn't seem like the kind of news that would be good to a family that is in grief. I think the message that this text has for us today is a little subtler. It requires us to examine more concretely what grounds we have for hope in the midst of tragedy. And I think that we can start with this idea of trinity. So like many pastors, I wear a necklace in worship. And this is a little small. Many of you won't be able to see it. Um, but it is a trinity knot. Um, many pastors will wear a cross as, as a necklace in worship. And, and I, I wear one during the week, um, a, a wooden cross. But I've chosen to begin wearing this, this Celtic trinity knot in part because this, this triune nature of the God we worship has become really important to me and to my identity as a pastor. That communion central to the Trinity, how Father, Son, and Spirit can somehow be co-equal and co-eternal with one another without undermining one another or trying to usurp one another's authority, that's become just as important to my faith as the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is. After all, if you've been with, you know, in a company of three people, you know how hard it is not to kind of attach yourself to one of the other two people, right? That's why we say three's a crowd. And for God to exist in three persons and yet be co-equal, that is a miracle. To continue to offer self-giving love to each of the three persons in the triune God. That's the heart of God, and it has been from eternity past, and it will be to eternity future, this idea of self-giving love. That's not only who God is, it's also what God does. Now, we're not going to get into all the mechanics of the Trinity this morning. A professor of mine once reminded me that the Trinity is not a problem to be solved, but a mystery to be adored. Um, and, and that helps me because it helps me not to try and like parse the persons or the essence or all these other theological terms we associate with the Trinity. It allows me, it gives me permission to sit in the beauty and in the mystery of how God can be both united and diverse much like God calls us to be. And if the God we worship exists in an eternal dance of self-giving love, if the God we worship has invited us into that dance, and God has, then our faith in this promise can guide us toward a real and lasting hope, regardless of what else is going on in the world, that our future is in that dance of self-giving love that God has been doing from the beginning of time. Paul tells us in our text this morning in Romans that we have access to the grace in which we're able to stand. This access is that invitation to the eternal dance of God. Now, this access came at a cost, right? The death of the author of life. 
This access came from Jesus who spoke regularly about about how he would be exalted, raised up, how his throne would be that of a cross. And it's in the person of Jesus, I think, that we can see what Paul was talking about when he talks about suffering. It's not the suffering of exercise or working through injury that Paul had in mind. It's not even necessarily the suffering of lamenting the brokenness of the world, although that is important. But what Paul had in mind when writing about suffering was Jesus. We can boast in our sufferings because Jesus experienced suffering. And so when we find ourselves in the midst of suffering, when we find ourselves descending into hell, into our own little slice of hell, whether that's a hell brought on by personal situations, by cultural trends, by what's going on in the world, well, we can take heart because we are joining our Savior in the path that he has already trodden. What's more is that God's love has been poured into our hearts by means of the Holy Spirit. It's not just that we're joining Jesus in where he went, but we also have this concrete evidence of God's love in the spirit that God has given us. This same love that raised Jesus from the dead, that brought him up to the right hand of the Father, that same love dwells in us. That same love dwells in us. I don't know if, if, if we can begin to comprehend that. It's a game changer, church. Faith guides us toward a real and lasting hope in spite of whatever horror may surround us because we follow a savior who suffered everything that evil could marshal against him and still defeated sin and death. And so when we follow in the footsteps of that savior, even when we suffer profoundly, we can rejoice because we know that sin and death have been defeated and we have God's love poured out into us through the Holy Spirit. Now, for each of us, this is one of those truths I think that we're going to need to grapple with as individuals. Just as pain transcends and frustrates language, hope does too, even though both are common to the human experience. Both pain and hope are also deeply individual experiences, which is, I think, why when you're experiencing anguish and a well-meaning person comes to you and tells you, don't worry, God's in control, it can feel wrong. It doesn't feel good. Sometimes the most helpful action we can take with another person, because hope and pain are so individually tailored, sometimes the most helpful action we can take with someone in anguish is to join them in that anguish, to join them in that lament, in that grief, because we trust that even if we accompany them through the valley of the shadow of death, God has hope on the other side because God has triumphed over suffering and sin and death. When we choose to enter into their suffering vicariously, when we choose to join them in what grieves them, we end up taking away the power that suffering has to do damage to our souls. When we enter into that suffering vicariously, we actually bear a strong witness to hope. We know that hope does not disappoint. We know that the final word that God has spoken is that of grace, is that of love, and not that of suffering and death. By acting in in compassion, suffering with somebody, 
We testify with our actions to the fact that sin, death, and suffering are fading, that their power is expiring. Hope is not a discipline of just pretending everything is okay. Hope is not being the ostrich that buries our head in the sand and is muted to all the dire stuff that's going on in the world. True hope recognizes that deep pain in our world, in our communities, in our very lives, and joins in the lament that many of us have. Hope doesn't ask us to continue working out through an injury. No, instead, hope insists that we live in reality, a reality grounded by the promise of God's love having been poured out into our hearts, a reality grounded in the promise of true peace, true shalom, this idea of wholeness, that everything is as it ought to be or will be as it ought to be. Hope embraces not only the bright hope for tomorrow, but also the fact that all is not well yet, that there is still pain today. And our faith guides us toward that real and lasting hope, a hope that doesn't need to pretend that everything is okay. So let us be a people who embody this hope, not a people who's naive, but a people that understands suffering and also understands the God who has defeated suffering, sin, and death. Let us model what self-giving love looks like in our communities because we've got an in to God's self-giving love through the gift of the Holy Spirit who is in us. And let us bring the joy and hope of heaven down to earth. After all, we have God's Spirit to strengthen us regardless of our circumstances what else could we need? May it be so. Amen.